everybody, Rachel Varga here, the beauty side of Beauty and the Biohacker, and I warmly invite you to check out working with Katie and I. You can go to beautyandthebiohacker.com where you can find our book one-on-one links with either Katie and I. Katie can help you with optimizing your sleep through biohacking modalities, and I can help you with optimizing your at-home and in-clinic skin and rejuvenation journey with skincare, biohacking, dermal rolling, and all of that cool stuff. Be sure to also check out our favorites page where you can find our shortlist of our top biohacking and supplement picks to help you slow your aging on a cellular level. And be sure to use those affiliate links to continue to support the show here and use the promo codes to save yourself some money. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Beauty and the Biohacker, where we explore the latest tools and trends in self-care aesthetics and peak performance to help you live your most beautiful life from the inside out. I am Katie Moore, your co-host. I am somewhat of the biohacker side of Beauty and the Biohacker. I've got three years of experience self-experimenting in the space of you know, product reviews, biohacking gadgets, gizmos, all that good stuff. And of course, I'm joined by the very beautiful Rachel Varga. Welcome, everybody. It's a pleasure to hang out uh, with my super fabulous friend at a distance, Katie Moore. And my name is Rachel Varga. If you're new here, I am a board certified aesthetic nurse specialist, celebrity skin expert, international clinical trainer. I also write academic papers. So I am kind of like that super skin nerd. And I love looking at ways to innovate how we can optimize our skin from the inside out and from the outside in. You know, the skin is our largest organ. And I'm really interested in bringing to light certain tips and tricks for you to optimize your body, mind, spirit, energy. And that does typically happen through biohacking as well. So really stoked about today's conversation. And today we actually have a very special guest. I'm going to have her introduce herself in just a moment. Her name is Orshi McNaughton. She's actually in San Diego right now. Beautiful San Diego. Lives right along the beach. So amazing. She's a former fitness trainer, personal trainer. She's owned a bunch of fitness studios, and she's been dealing with a lot of health issues lately, including mold toxicity, and has really figured out the ways to tap into biohacking modalities to help heal herself from the inside out. She has an amazing brand called Biohacker Chick. You guys all need to go check that out. And Orshi, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. That's fantastic. And I, you know, love your story. I love the idea of really taking health into your own hands, especially when it comes to something like mold toxicity, which can be really hard to diagnose. And we can certainly get into that um, in today's episode. But I'd love to know, just kind of from a surface level, how did you first get interested in biohacking? And what was sort of that like aha moment that inspired you to create this biohacker chick brand? Yes. Um, you know, my first entry point into like health and wellness was about 12 years ago. And that's, that was sort of my entry into the fitness industry. But at the time, the only tools I had was really fitness and nutrition and maybe lifestyle changes. And as I was working with literally 
thousands of people over the last decade, I kept discovering that this toolkit was not enough, that um, people were not completely succeeding. You know, a lot of people came to us for weight loss and wanting to get stronger and feel better. But, you know, a lot of people ended up on this yo-yo diet train of sort of just losing weight, gaining it right back. And it was really sad to see that. And when, when people were getting into their 30s, 40s, 50s and older, I had less and less options to offer them besides nutrition and, and fitness. And, and that's sort of what started to get, you know, get me really interested in health optimization and all the other ways of sort of optimizing your health. But my first en entry point of actually understanding the word biohacking and and um, really sort of going down that rabbit hole was in 2017, when I first came across this diagnosis of having issues with mold through a functional uh, medicine practitioner who ran some tests and they actually suggested that I watch the moldy movie, which is uh, Dave Asprey's documentary on mold. And that movie sort of got me into this community and, and really opened up a whole new world to me of, of health optimization. And of course, uh, I got completely sucked into it and uh, never looked back ever since. Now with Biohacker Chick, I started this brand uh, just last year. I sold my one of my, my businesses and I really felt like this is going to be the the future the the next thing in health and wellness is going to be um you know we can put this under this umbrella of biohacking this is such a broad umbrella of really health and wellness optimization or whatever you want to call it i think we all have our own def definition of what that means and with biohacker chick i really felt like there should be a platform and a forum for women to exchange ideas and sort of share what's working for women specifically. And so I wanted to dedicate this platform for looking at things through the filter of women's health. And, um, and I know we're probably gonna get into this in a little bit, but it, it's about this space being so dominated by male influencers, which is amazing. And, and they are all, you know, have the right place because they are experts, but, I feel like now we need a little bit more conversations through that filter of women's health. I love that. And I think that's really beautiful how you said it. So I'm going to ask you the question, what is the one biohack that you cannot live without? And I'm also curious if you can kind of layer with the clients that you've worked with, what are some of the common threads that you see clients doing that are your most thriving, vibrant clients? And the reason I ask this is because as a clinician myself, for the last 10 years, offering 20,000 rejuvenation procedures later, international clinical trainer, I started to take notice of anecdotal data from my clients, especially women in menopause, that were thriving, especially over this last year women that were doing really well, they were kind of holding it down even for their daughters that had young kids. And they had cultivated particular body, mind, spirit, energy practices. And I also started to observe a lot of those truly radiant, vibrant clients of mine were either doing like ancient practices or they were also doing biohacking or they were, you know, smashing it together. So I'm curious what your number one 
can't live without biohack is and what you see your most vibrant clients doing. You know, it's so funny that you say that because um, responding to this question, I thought it was going to be a weird answer, but you just basically were talking about how, for me, mindfulness, meditation, and spirituality actually sort of made the biggest shift in as far as my happiness scale, because we want to optimize, obviously, our physical you know, health. And uh, a lot of what we're going to talk about has to do with that, um, getting healthier and having a high, highly functioning body and mind, right? But for me, um, mindfulness, meditation, and spirituality, which I'm kind of lumping into this together, is what really moved the scale as far as being more content, joyful, happy, and feeling like I have a more fulfilled life. Sorry about that. And also just this idea of service to others, being service to others and finding finding your own purpose and mission of how how can I best serve other people? And um, that was partly behind of this idea of starting by Hacker Chick of creating a little bit more platform where I can serve people globally instead of just locally. And by the way, I'm in San Clemente, so almost in San Diego. Um, So I'm technically in Orange County, but instead of being just a local business, I want to be able to get the message out to a wider audience. So what is your one biohack you cannot live without? Well, again, talking about the mindfulness, meditation, spirituality, and how I got into that. And I probably don't want to go too far down on this rabbit hole, but I spent um, some time in the Amazon rainforest uh, with the Shipibo people doing some uh, psychedelics, ayahuasca. And I really felt like that mindfulness meditation slash, you know, being cut off from the business of our life and get, getting out of that. And um, it really kind of cracked me open uh, to spirituality and um, shifted my understanding of uh, what what is out there. I, I would kind of describe it as, you know, somebody who lives their life in a small room and does not know that there's another world out there. And when there's, let's say, an earthquake and you have a crack in the wall and all of a sudden you can see through that wall and see that there's a much bigger world out there and you venture out, you will never want to go back to living in that small room again. So that was my experience with uh, being in Peru for a couple of weeks with no running water and electricity and just kind of living a, a much more simple life really allowed me to realized that I was operating in this really narrow bandwidth of emotions of not being ever really sad or being extremely joyful, but just kind of having this small range of not really experiencing my emotions and being a little bit numb to the world. And uh, once I had this experience and I could really understand the full spectrum of human life that I was missing out on, um, I realized I never wanted to go back to that. And I wanted to keep exploring how how can I expand my own bandwidth? And I hope that makes sense. 
Totally. And I'm just curious, like, how did you emotionally and mentally prepare for a trip like that? Because I think there's so many people that just think they can, like, fly to Peru and do the ayahuasca thing and just, like, come back different. But I, I, I've heard that it doesn't always work unless you've done the mental kind of prep work before that. So what did you actually do to get yourself ready? That's a great question. So I think people that are interested in this um, keep doing a lot of research. And um, I I had a whole um, nutrition nutritional dieta that you follow for six weeks before you even start. Uh, that sort of kind of ramp you up to to doing the sort of the ayahuasca and and all the plant medicine and um, just to be fully immersed in this experience. And, uh, and and I did that in combination of mindfulness and meditation retreat. And we did a lot of yoga and other things in combination of this like uh, several weeks that I was there. Um, I think it was really important to to do it in that environment and not like in someone's backyard. <laughs> Uh, in an urban, stressful environment, I think, I think it all sort of synergistically and energetically work together to um, give you the transformation that you personally need, which is very different from everybody. So what would you say um, with, for example, IV therapy, you did this particular nutrition prep work for your ayahuasca journey. And I'll just share anecdotally, I've seen some clients do really well. And after having a journey, I can actually just see like a brightness, a different perspective that they have. But I've also seen other people have to do it like 16 times and they keep doing it. It's like, is it really working for you? So I think uh, to each their own and everything we talk about here, just to FYI, isn't medical advice. It's for educational purposes only. If you think you have something going on with your physical body, with your mental health, be sure to seek the guidance of a licensed physician. But I'd love, Orishi, your take on... On, you know detoxifying our body of heavy metals because if you think about it we are beings and we are you know heavily ionic we have protons and we have uh, electrons positive negative and if we I have heard people say that if we have an accumulation of heavy metals in our body it can actually interfere even with some of the ionic signaling and even our ability to ground so I'd love for you to just spend a hot second talking about IV therapy and chelation and you know maybe some scientific clinical uh, research resources yeah so I had sort of a double whammy with mold and heavy metal toxicity, and I am still kind of going through the process of uh, emptying my stress bucket, so to speak. And um, I, if you don't mind, I'm just going to briefly go into this analogy that I like to explain that I feel is such a good way of understanding the body as a whole system working together, because I think when it comes to detoxing any type of toxins from your body, it really depends on your overall load of toxic load and your ability to detox that. So I like to use the idea of the stress bucket, uh, or some people call it the rain barrel, where just imagine that your body and your health is this giant bucket, right? 
and you have your emotional, spiritual, psychological stress, environmental stressors, your work stress, your financial pressures, your poor diet, your relationship stress, your lack of sleep, everything kind of goes into this bucket and it's a stressor for you, for, for you, right? Even things like exercise, that would be a good type of stress, still goes into your stress bucket. And sometimes, and this is why um, when we are doing things that are have like a hermetic effect on our body, like, you know, doing um, an ice bath or doing, you know, or doing hardcore weightlifting or any of those things, you have to look at that in context of what else is you've got going on in your body and how stressed your body is already. Now, your bucket has sort of a drain on the bottom, and that's your body's ability to sort of recharge and, and detox. And um, what helps with that is things what we just talked about, like mindfulness, spending time with, with loved ones, um, you know, exercising and a healthy amount, you know, family, having friends and family in your life. And then of course, having a healthy diet, um, you know, not putting chemicals, too many chemicals in your body, not being, you know, exposed to environmental toxins and all that, you know, healthy lifestyle that kind of helps you drain your bucket and everybody's sort of size of your bucket and how quickly you can drain it is different. So when you're younger, you have a, bigger bucket. And as we age, our bucket starts shrinking, unfortunately. And also our ability to detox, which is sort of your the drain in your bucket, is different based, based on your genetics as well as your epigenetics. And, and also your lifestyle, obviously. The lifestyle is a huge factor in that. So I was one of those people that had already a smaller bucket and had the drain closed. <laughs> and my detox pathways were really impaired. And, and I really didn't realize that until really the last couple of years that I've been getting into trying to detox both from heavy metals and mold. So sorry for taking this roundabout approach to answering your question, but one of I had to take things in order to try to start unclogging my bucket, so to speak. And I've gone through a very, um, a lot of different healing modalities to try to get the, the molds first um, detox from my body. And once I saw some progress in that is when I started the heavy metal detox. It's hard to do everything at once, although a lot of the modalities work the same way. It detox both mold and heavy met metals at the same time. So for me, the IV chelation therapy is what I'm doing now is kind of the last step to a lot of other type of modalities of detox I've been doing to get to the point that my bucket is sort of draining. You don't want to be doing IV chelation and um, any type of sort of, you know, taking chelating agent, whether it's you taking it orally or you're doing it through IV until you know your body actually can eliminate uh, the toxins from your body. So if your bucket is completely clogged, I, I wouldn't recommend rushing into that. So for me, this is after like a year of doing many, many different modalities of, of detoxing. So to, to answer your question, I'm doing a couple of different things. I'm taking an oral um, binder, which is a, a DMSA that I'm taking orally. And 
you take it sort of in cycles. So you'll also have rest days and then you take binders and, and a whole bunch of other things with it in order to not only bind it, but effectively remove it from your, from your body. And then with the chelation therapy, with the IV chelation, I'm using, we are using DMPS and there's a lot of different types of chelating agents. And it depends on what type of metals you have in your body. You have to find out what binds best to, to that specific metal. So for me, uh, it's mostly mercury and lead that I need to pull out of my, my body. And we actually, with the physician I'm working with, she tested three different types of chelating agents and we run tests after each, um, each chelation therapy. And then we look at the results and see what's binding and pulling things out the best. And so we settled on DMP as being the best chelator for me. And so we've been doing a IV chelation every two weeks, followed by other type of um, detox modalities, such as um, doing colon hydrotherapy, uh, taking a lot of fiber and, and other type of binders. And so it's, it's, a, it's a very long process. One thing that I really was surprised of really how long it really takes to pull metals out of your body. Um, right now I'm doing a six week cycle. And then at the end of six weeks, we are going to, we are looking at my numbers like every, every other time that we are testing my metal levels. And it's very hard to tell exactly how much you have left in your body because when you're trying to pull out, especially mercury, it, the analogy I could use is like hitting a, a bee nest uh, with a baseball bat and you're gonna have a certain amount of bees that fly out every time and your, your body sort of load that you carry you know, the metals are absorbed in, in your tissues in various different places in your body. So every time you try to pull them out, there's a certain amount that comes out. And when you're doing these tests, um, you have to sort of gauge with a very experienced um, physician that you can work with that can really gauge which direction your levels go. And sometimes it's very confusing, both with mold and with, with um, heavy metals, because when you're doing your testing, if you have a really imp impaired detox, you know, the your detox pathways are very impaired. When you test initially, you may see very low numbers, like hardly have, you know, anything coming out. It's partly because your body is incapable of even releasing it, right? So I had to go through all these modalities of detoxing before it started to even come out of my body. I would... Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about um, what the test is. You know, is it a blood test? Is it a urine test, hair sample? Like, how do they actually measure your levels um, each time? And then following up with that, I'd love to know how draining it is to go through all these rounds of chelation. Do you feel exhausted after? There's also another method of testing that I've done with one of my practitioners, which is actually muscle testing. That's one I have not tried the muscle testing, but uh, but there, as Katie mentioned, um, there there are uh, your hair, urine, and blood are the, the ways to test it. Now they all show kind of different things. So my understanding is that blood's going to show the most if you have like recent exposure, 
And that's mostly is going to show like, like if you're eating a lot of fish, for example, and you're getting a lot of mer mercury exposure from that, it will probably show up in your blood if, if you have really high levels. Um, if you have, so you, so you have, for example, methylmercury, which comes from fish, that'll show up, I believe, in your hair samples. Uh, and inorganic mercury will show up in your urine, uh, for example, from your amalgam fillings, you know, your silver fillings that uh, may be leaching mercury into your body. So a company, for example, Quicksilver had a, have a tri-test that measures all three. Um, doctor's data uh, measures through a urine test. And that's the one I've been using because for me, it's primarily inorganic mercury that's being pulled out. Um, so it's a very complicated, I, I don't think there's a simple answer. You really got to go and see an expert that understands heavy metal chelation. And I have to say, I had a very hard time finding somebody who really knows how to do this. So I had to go through a lot of sort of uh, functional medicine doctors to find one that actually uh, really understands the process. And in addition to that, like how difficult was this to actually diagnose? Like how many years did you basically go through symptoms of mold toxicity, heavy metal exposure, and not actually know what was the root cause, right? Like, because a lot of the symptoms, from what I understand, you can verify which ones you felt, like brain fog, headaches, maybe digestion issues, you know, like, I, and I'm certain, I'm certain there were skin issues too, and you can probably talk a little bit about that, but that kind of can fall into a big bucket of like just common ailments that everyone deals with and they sort of get out, you know, like not get over it, but like literally just kind of deal with it without ever addressing the root. So what, what, like how long did it actually take for you to get that diagnosis and then start healing yourself? It's very, very difficult to figure this out, partly because as you said, these symptoms masquerade as so many things in your body, both mold and heavy metals, you know, and and I think my symptoms actually started when I was a kid. And I don't really know when I got exposed to mold or heavy metals, but I think it probably started in, in my childhood. And just to give you guys a quick sort of background, I had um, three major surgeries before the age of 13. I had I was on antibiotics all the time as a kid. I had chronic ear infections. I I had GI issues. I had multiple allergies, sinus issues, uh, asthma-like symptoms. That's just when I was a kid, right? And then in my early 20s or in my as a young adult, I had chronic sinus problems. I had a hard time breathing, ended up having a sinus surgery. Then later in my 30s, um, is when I started getting migraines and skin rashes that just got worse and worse as I got into my 40s. You know, I started gaining weight and I also, this brain fog started in my, in my 40s. And so all these symptoms sort of just, you know, you get more and more and more stuff start accumulating. And it's hard to tell is what, what's causing this, right? And when you go through sort of a standard allopathic med medicine, medicinal path, it's usually they give you drugs or surgery. <laughs> and uh, I really, I had a lot of drugs and surgery in my life and did not fix things, you know, or sort of just um, eliminated some symptoms. 
And so the first time I was sort of diagnosed with the mold was in 2017. And just to give you guys some story on that, it wasn't a straight line to like getting better because first of all, I, I didn't really understand what that meant that I had mold in my body. Like, what does that really mean? And some of the testing I had was really kind of fringe, you know, type of testing that I, I was willing to accept and go with what the doctor recommended. And I started doing her therapy for two months and I got a severe Hurst reaction and from the die off of the mold and bacteria and everything I had in my body, which at the time I didn't really understand what was going on. I just, I just realized that, okay, I'm doing the treatment that they give me and I feel 10 times worse to the point that my sinuses were so bad. I couldn't breathe at all. Like I couldn't breathe at night. I couldn't sleep. It was, it was really, I felt really terrible. So after two months of treatment, I felt so much worse that I went back to my traditional sort of Western medicine, ear, nose, and throat specialist that then told me that all my diagnostics and everything I had prior to that was quackery and that I shouldn't even do that. And basically they just said that I should have another sinus surgery. And, and I started doing some research on PubMed and, and you look at some of the testing that I had and and there was no history of it. So I, I started believing what they, they told me. And I had another surgery. I had another sinus surgery, which temporarily, you know, relieved my symptoms. And I was able to breathe well again. And sort of I dismissed this whole idea of having even problems with, with mold because I felt so much worse when I had the treatments, right? And so I never completed the, the treatment process. And I, I only did it about two months. And and so for years, then I started getting all these other symptoms that were getting worse. And um, about a year ago, I went to 40 years of Zen to, to do um, neurofeedback, part, partly because I had such a terrible uh, brain fog that was starting to come on. I really wanted to figure out what's going on with my brain. And the brain maps were showing that I had some biotoxin exposure. And that reminded me like, oh, yeah, I had some issues with mold. I need to start investigating that. And that's when I started doing testing again through a, through a different position, a different company, and also discovered this whole heavy metal issue and realized that I have to take this really, really seriously. And I had to do everything I can to get both the mold and the heavy metals out of my body because it was affecting my, it was causing me like literally brain damage mm -hmm. and and, and it was it was so serious. It wasn't just, you know, you can dismiss your skin issues and all the other issues. But once you, your brain stops working, that you start paying attention to that because that is horrible. I'm going to ask you a question you've probably never been asked. And yes, this is going to be out of left field, but certainly not in the way I work. Um, yeah, that's great. You did 40 years as Zen. You may or may not know this, but Dave Asprey is a friend of mine. And I look forward to taking that journey myself. So I, I really empathize with you with childhood ear infections, surgeries, uh, being on antibiotics, you know, been there, done that. I think I had like three or four ear surgeries growing up. And I'm curious if on your ayahuasca journey, your 40 years of Zen journey, if 
I saw a little smile there. If you did that to almost unpack maybe why that happened to you, was there something maybe in the background that you know, led you towards that, like why you kept having issues with those different like openings in your, your, your head area. Yeah. Just maybe expand on that. If you looked at those types of journeys as a way to give you some insight, like why did this happen to me? Because I got to tell you, like, just honestly, as a kid going through that stuff, uh, I'm only learning now how much that actually impacted me. So this is like deep shadow work around um, childhood stuff. Um, and this could be helpful for someone listening if they never really made that connection. Uh, because there is actually a connection to when you're a kid, when you're a kid and you have health stuff happen to you, how that can actually play out when you are a little bit older. So I'm curious if you've done any work in that area. Yeah, definitely. You know, you keep looking for answers anywhere you can and you keep investigating and 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 I I was working in the health and fitness industry doing everything I can to be living the healthiest life possible and yet I had all these health issues, right? And and I didn't have the answer for that and I I was eating all organic foods and I was exercising my whole life, yet I was gaining weight and I all this weird stuff was happening to me. And when I had this sort of spiritual opening that I was going through, I was starting to seek answers. That was also the reason why I went to 40 years of Zen, because I wanted to explore that more and uh, have that personal growth, personal development. And uh, it's just a side effect of that, that because you have this scientific overlay of looking at your brain scans and everything, sort of my physical health, it also, you know, shone a light to what, what, what else was going on in the rest of my body. But I went there for more of a spiritual growth and, and to be a better meditator. And, and you know, I was hoping to come out as a Zen monk by the end of it. But <laughs> instead, I, I kind of learned, a, I, I mean, it's an amazing program, but one thing I, it, it, I'm so glad that sort of it shook me up and woke, woke me up to the fact that I needed to do more, more testing around mold and heavy metals and, and go in that yeah. direction. And I think that's great because certain people are drawn to say ayahuasca or 40 years of Zen for different reasons. It just like keeps coming into their awareness. And when you start to have things that like pop up in dreams or enter your thoughts often like pay attention to that stuff even if it doesn't seem to make sense just like follow the little niggles sometimes absolutely and and listening to your gut and your intuition i'm really working on that now and trying to align sort of spiritual spiritually with my own sort of uh what, what what is my purpose why am i here in this world uh, what am I to do for the rest of my life? I think a lot of people have these questions in their 40s and 50s <laughs> when when they go into that age of like, I want to do more than just, you know, they're, they're going to be more to life. It's like, how can we go through menopause and not feel like garbage? And what's really cool is, you know, perimenopause, many menopausal women, this is actually what I see a lot of uh, women doing 
is actually entering biohacking at this stage in the game. And sometimes guys will do it a little bit sooner. You know, we got to get stuff done. We got to, you know, be as effective and efficient as we possibly can. How do I not burn myself out? How do I be superhuman? And for women, a lot of us, it's like, how can we restore our sleep? How can we manage our hormones? And how can we just feel as good as we used to? And not let these uh, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, energetic changes start to run the show. We have no choice but to be biohackers once you start going into perimenopause. It's like biohacking <laughs> just to survive, to. <laughs> just yeah. to, to keep your brain working and, and figure out, you know, what, what is my body doing to me and, uh, and just to feel better. And, and I, you know, when I started my business, I was still in my, my late thirties and, you know, I, I was working with all these women in their fifties that were complaining about all this stuff. It's hard to understand that until you start going through it yourself. And then you say, Oh, I understand now what, what they were talking about. <laughs> Why do you think I'm working so hard now in my mid thirties so that I can cruise through that? It's like, when we have these practices cultivated, it allows us to not only uh, segue through different huge changes in our lives through like menopause but also high stress situations like the world shutting down or needing to pivot and and do things uh in a way that we can still continue to thrive live our life's purpose do our life's work why the heck are we here you know the list goes on i'm curious or she what skin irritation things showed up for you that was like okay something's going on because just a reminder your skin's your largest organ you got to start paying attention to it absolutely yeah so I started getting these weird rashes on my face uh, especially under my eye that's kind of where it started with big red rashes on my cheeks and um kind of look looked like autoimmune issues and I investigated a lot of that and and I never got like a diagnosis specifically for that, but that's what it looked like. Um, I would get these red kind of acne-like rashes, but they were not acne. And they, they would be very itchy. And then after sort of two weeks, they would go through this like, they would peel, my skin would peel off and sort of the rash would go away and then it would come back again. Um, with this kind of like huge inflammation, puffiness and, and itching. Um, and then in my 30, 30s, that was just happening once in a while. And then in my 40s, it almost became like an everyday thing. Like it just wouldn't even go away. So it was just getting worse and worse. Yeah. And sometimes even just like when I meet with clients through, you know, skin consults, you can learn all about how you can work one-on-one -on -one with Katie and I at beautyandthebiohacker.com because yes, we do offer one-on-one -on -one services. You know, we're not going to be doing that forever. That's for sure. But take advantage of that. But yeah, I love working with clients. This has helped stabilize their skin just with a couple of five easy steps um, that I do go through to mitigate that diffuse redness and irritation. So if you do that, work say with someone like myself through some guidance instead of trying to have at it and you know go to the drugstore and pick up this product and that product unfortunately you're probably adding to your toxic load but if you're doing that work and stuff is still popping up that's definitely a key indication that you need to look a little bit deeper yeah i think it's very closely related to gut health um 
your skin health is and your gut health is really closely tied together. And I think, as I was mentioning, the the stress bucket before, the more you can empty your stress bucket, the better your skin's going to look as well. So, and of, of course, if you have heavy loads of to- toxicity like like I have, then for me, all this toxicity shows up on my skin. So, as as Rachel said, our biggest detox organ is our skin. Mm-hmm. So, Orsha, I'm curious what you've done, you know, with your health, like especially on fitness and food. How has that changed since the diagnosis? Like, what are you doing now? How has it looked different than what you did in your 30s? So I have to really manage my stress level. You know, one of the questions you had earlier is how, like, how I'm managing all the stress with the detox. And I didn't really answer that. But you know, things like, for example, the O-ring that measures your readiness for the day and how how rested you are, things like that are really, I'm, I'm looking at that before I decide if I'm going to go and hit the gym or not and, and really uh, do some heavy lifting and or doing HIIT training. I still exercise, but I'm a lot more mindful of how much I'm exercising. So I'm not over exercising. Right now, my number one priority is detoxing and to eliminating things from my body. And even good things like exercise, you know, put stress in your stress bucket, so to speak. And so I think it's really important for people to be mindful of the overall stress load they have before they you know, run a Spartan race or do a a marathon or do these kind of crazy physical activities that put a lot of stress on your body. So when you have a lot of overall stress, mental, emotional, physical, other type of stress, um, you, you may be better off just going for a walk or doing a gentle yoga practice or something like that. So I think where I'm a lot more conscious of that now in my 40s and going through all this than before I was literally just hitting the gym every day thinking the more I was exercising, the the better it was going to be. Partly because exercise is amazing. You get this beautiful endorphin rush and you you feel better. And yeah, I mean, I love it. And I, I, I love exercise and I'm a huge fan of it. And I still exercise every day, but sometimes now the exercise is just going for a walk or um, doing more yoga type of um, slower type forms of exercise. So I don't uh, push myself as hard. I love that you mentioned the aura ring and looking at the readiness. And Katie and I, we did a really great solo episode talking about this. But just a couple of key takeaways from that is you get kind of this like activity tracker metric on the aura ring and i find when i hit that consistently my weight stays really stable i stay nice and trim i I like the way my figure looks and that is actually through kind of like lighter type exercises and in the past you know i'd be doing like an hour and a half of kickboxing or jujitsu pad work because my hubby's a pro athlete a couple of times a week like we're talking high intensity personal training weightlifting 
but I was actually rear-ended really badly and I'm dealing with whiplash. So now I've actually evolved my fitness to be a little bit more on the lighter sides, but I also did um, a test through my toolbox genomics. Use the code BNB10 for 10% off of your test kit. And that actually, that showed me, I did the nourish panel but it did say that based on my genes and epigenetics, that uh, lighter exercise just more consistently is actually better for me. And then the aura ring actually uh, also uh, corroborated that. So I, I find that really interesting. So, you know, you don't have to hit the gym and do that, you know, that hit training all the time is like, just go by your readiness score. If you need to give yourself a little bit more time to rest and recover, lean into that. Give your body a little bit of grace that day. Maybe modify how much you also eat on those days uh, so that that calorie um, kind of plays into account, calorie intake. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's good to have a mix of things. You definitely want to lift heavy weights at least once or twice a week. Um, So you definitely want to build some muscle. I think keeping muscle in your body, especially as you aging is one of the most important things that you need to pay attention to. I do think that you need to do some form of a cardio activity, whether it's sort of a hit training type of cardio activity or going for a jog or something at least uh, once a week or twice a week. And, and I think you also need to do things that are more mindfulness, uh, flexibility related, like shru- like yoga Um, So I think it's good to have a combination. And then I think we should be moving every single day, but it could just be going for a walk. You know, it doesn't have to be a heavy, heavy hitting workout. Yeah, you nailed it. And uh, if I just share what I've seen sort of like anecdotally and clinically with clients of mine, 50s, 60s that are just crushing life, they have uh, basically... Kind of like uh, cardiovascular training, like I, like he said, with jogging, getting the heart rate up, and also weightlifting, uh, getting that bone density happening, which is really important for women as to prevent things like osteoporosis. The clinical data is out on that, um, so that that claim is definitely substantiated. But also the flexibility and stability, which you're gonna get through things like yoga, which you're also gonna, you know. Uh, mindfulness energetically going to get through things like qigong so yeah i love what you said that and i I certainly see people doing that but you got to mix it up agree definitely Definitely. yeah and so i guess this is a a great segue to um this whole idea of two worlds converging and i personally see this biohacking space and fitness space really coming together it's already starting to happen. You know, people are quantifying their workouts in a very different way. They're quantifying how they work out every single day. So what, or she, you're a fitness expert. You worked, you know, in the fitness space for so many years. You've seen so many changes, I'm sure. What's your thoughts on like the next few years and how you see this space evolving? Yeah, that's that's an amazing question. I really think that as we have more and more variable technologies, you know, when I, when I started, um, we, we really didn't have much. And then about maybe seven plus years ago, when people started wearing heart rate monitors to work out and we combined high intensity interval training with heart rate training. And that one piece of technology brought a lot of sort of feedback to people to say, okay, I'm in the right heart rate zone and 
you know, the emphasis was more, more on fat burning. Everybody just wanted to burn as much fat as possible. I think the focus is going to start shifting from fat burning to optimizing your metabolic health and metabolic flexibility. I think that's where the shift is going to go towards. And I think going to be other variables that are going to come, come into play, such as continuous heart, you know, blood glucose monitoring, figuring out what is specifically the right diet for you um, instead of everybody just being on a low carb or keto or whatever diet and say you fit into this box. I think it's going to be very individualized for what works for you specifically, what kind of foods, you know, elevating your blood sugar things like that. There's also, um, I think when it comes to a whole bunch of other type of gadgets that are designed for recovery, you know, for because I think you can exercise as much as you can recover, right? So recovery is just as, if not more important than the exercise itself. So things like, you know, cryotherapy or, you know, um, a whole bunch of, uh, like if you go to a place like Upgrade Labs, <laughs> uh, where you see all these sort of biohacking gear, I mean, that's already incorporated into the fitness world, right? And a lot of those are, are designed, you know, for like photobiomodulation, things like that. All these sort of modalities are optimizing your recovery and your level of energy. And the more you can recover and the more energy you have, the more you can train, right? And the fitter you can get. And then all these tools that are now allowing us to optimize our metabolic health, like testing your microbiome, having specific supplementation to optimize our gut health, uh, like the DNA company does amazing supplements uh, that are designed specifically to your genetics that are more specific to you. So I think there's so much on both on the side of supplementation and variable technologies, both for you know recovery and to, just to give you feedback of, of where you are at with your health. Um, as you said, it's all converging and it's all going to, I think also incorporate this sort of mind, body, spirit of wellness into not just focus on the physical only, but integrating the other modalities together. I couldn't agree more. I That's really where I start to see this all kind of taking shape. I, I totally um, see kind of this like proliferation of like brain hacking in combination with physical modalities. And so it'll be very exciting to watch over the next few years as more technology comes through. Well, Orshi, thank you so much for joining us today. This was such a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your story and the ways that you've been able to self-heal. Um, where can people find you? So you, people can find me at Biohacker Chick, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, um, Twitter, all the different platforms. And can they work with you there as well? So at the moment, I don't do personal consultations with people. However, I put out a lot of content for free. Uh, and I, I really, uh, this is my way of serving people. So I, my hope is just to put information out so people can learn and start doing their own N of one experiments, you know, start experimenting themselves, see what works for them and 
taking their personal health and wellness to the next level. That's awesome. Well, it's wonderful to hear. Definitely go check out all of Orshi's amazing work and content and make sure you subscribe to this podcast and YouTube channel and all of the things. Hit that bell and, you know, you can meet us right back here next week on Beauty and the Biohacker. It's been such a pleasure, Orshi. Thank you again for taking the time. Thank you so much.